You've probably heard the expression, paying it forward. It's an old idea. It's new again in popular culture. It's been featured in movies and some plays. Paying it forward is the idea that when you've been the beneficiary of some good deed by someone else, you repay it forward to someone else, to other people, instead of back to the original benefactor. Paying it forward is sort of the concept I want to talk about today, but paying it forward has to do generally with small stuff. And this morning I want to talk about big stuff when it comes to service. In an article I read about paying it forward, it listed 50 ways to pay it forward. So here are some of the small things they mention. Put a quarter in a meter about to expire. Smile at strangers. Have a conversation with a toll booth attendant. Somehow, I think when you're on the tri-state and you're paying your money, you're much more likely to hear, move along, buddy, than a strong desire to have a conversation. All of those are fine ideas. They really are. But wouldn't you agree with me that our world has big problems? Our world, our culture, our country even, has big problems that aren't going to be solved by little bitty things. They're going to be solved with big solutions. Whatever one thinks of Jesus of Nazareth, whether you are a believer in him or not, you'd have to say Jesus went after big problems with big solutions. He didn't deal in small stuff. He went big in everything he said, did, and taught. Concepts like the forgiveness of sins, life after death, feeding the poor, healing the sick, confronting corrupt religious and political leaders. Jesus went big. We're a part of the church that Jesus founded. And we too are called to be people of big concerns for big problems, offering big solutions. Since we believe in the powerful realities that Christ proclaimed and performed, we're here now because we believe that God is real, Christ is the Savior, and the church is the hope of the world. We do believe that, don't we? The scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'd invite you to find your Bibles if you brought them with you and take a look at this scripture together. It will appear on the screen. I'm simply going to read it. I'll probably stop a couple of times to offer some brief commentary. This is Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 
Side comment, those first three verses are about the worship practices at the church at Corinth, which left something to be desired. Beginning at verse 4, topic of the day. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Verse 7, key verse. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by that same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To yet another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you can already tell when you hear these words from Paul to the church at Corinth, there were lots of problems in the Corinthian church. There was backbiting, jealousy, discrimination based on spiritual status. There was a lack of unity. There was a disrespect of other people's gifts. There was also disorderly and self-centered worship practices. In short, this church is really kind of a mess. Now, we have to cut them a little slack because the culture that the Corinthian church, and this was a young church, which it was born was a, a, a culture of real, real struggle, deep depravity, lots of problems. It was a cultural mess. And so the Corinthian church is having to deal with a great many of these problems which have sort of found their way into the community of the church. Before we're too hard on the Corinthian church, though, let me just say there are no perfect churches. You do know that, Right? I've been to a lot of churches. I haven't found a perfect one yet. You've probably been to a number of churches. There are probably moments when you wish there were a perfect church somewhere. There isn't one because churches are populated by imperfect people. However, if you ever find the perfect church, make the same vow I have made. Don't go there. If you go there, you'll ruin it. And so would I, because that's what imperfect people do. In the text, Paul is writing to this very imperfect church and to these imperfect people. And he's telling them about the spiritual gifts, this dynamic package of things that happen in the life of God's people that causes them to be able to serve the world around them and to serve one another in the body of Christ. And so Paul, after addressing those worship issues, turns to the manifold ways in which God works using our gifts in the body of Christ. In verse 4 and in verse 5, he addresses three of those principal things. 
He says, first of all, there are gifts. The Greek word for gifts here is the word charisma, which to no surprise is where we get the notion of some person who has charisma, some person who we see who somehow connects. And we associate that with some unique kind of a gift. That's exactly what Paul says. Only it's not for those with dynamic charisma. Paul says that God gives gifts, charisma, gifts of the Spirit to everybody in the family of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has equipped you with one or more spiritual gifts. You didn't earn them. You couldn't have manufactured them. These are supernatural endowments that the Spirit gives to the people of God. Everyone, again, gets one or more of these. There's a second word he uses, and it's the word service. The Greek word is diakonia, with which we are familiar because just in recent weeks, we ordained, we celebrated, we recognized the people who serve as deacons, as deaconesses into the life of our fellowship. These are people called out for specific offerings of service. And yet every Christian, whether they have a specific title or not, has been given gifts of service, which again are God's gifts to you recognized by the body of Christ for serving in the church. And the third word that's used here is the word working. The Greek word here is energema, which we would think would have something to do with energy, and that would be right. This is sort of like God's operating system that he has built into each one of us. That system by which God organizes and energizes his work in us. All of this is wrapped up together in this amazing package to where each person in the body of Christ is uniquely gifted for service to the world and service within the church. God takes us with our own combination of gifts, adds that together with others in the body of Christ for the sake of our mutual service within the body. And he says to us, all of us and each of us, you are the hope of the world. Take those gifts, go and serve the world and serve one another. In verse 7 of the text, he says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's Paul's summary statement. We get these gifts for the sake of the common good. Therefore, Paul is affirming three truths. The Spirit gives gifts to all of the people of God. These gifts are to be used for the common good. And all of this is for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. In this series we have been in on serving others, Dan has been making the case for serving people outside, primarily outside the walls of the church, as it should be. Today, I want to make the case for the service we are to offer as the people of God for the people within the walls of the church. Some of you now are thinking, oh boy, the preacher for the day is going to ask for my time and for my service in the church. You're right, I am. 
But I'm also pretty mindful of how life works. I'm pretty mindful how, just in my own life, I'm not really looking for addition in my life. In fact, if I could do it, I'd be looking for subtraction from the number of things that I do. Some of you might remember the old TV series, Star Trek. (laughs) I'm really dating myself here. Remember in Star Trek when Captain Kirk would sit in the the principal seat there, and he would be guiding the Starship Enterprise through the galaxies, and all of a sudden there'd be a notice that there's a Klingon warrior ship about to approach, and his words were, shields up, we'll protect ourselves from the Klingons. Just for a few more moments, let me just ask you, don't quite yet put the shields up, because I'm not going to ask for a whole lot of your time, but what I want us to ask and consider is how has God uniquely gifted me for service in the body of Christ? Finding a joyful place of service within the church is a very life and joy-giving experience. I first learned this when I was a 20-year-old intern youth pastor. I was in college. My summer job was to work in the youth ministry of a wonderful church that gave me a great opportunity. One day, and by the way, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was learning on the job. One day I'm sitting in the youth ministry offices at my little desk and there's nobody else around and I'm working on something. And a man whom I did not know walked in, he has a business suit on, looks like a very serious down to business kind of a guy. And he says, Bill, I know who you are. You don't know who I am. He introduced himself, shook my hand, said, you got a couple of minutes? I said, sure. He said, my son Charlie is in your youth ministry, and he's not a happy kid. I have to make him come to church on Wednesday nights, on Sunday nights. He comes to church only because I make him go. He says he doesn't have any friends. He's miserable. No one speaks to him. And I'm telling you, I've got a problem at home, and I don't know how much longer I can keep making him come to church. Is there anything you can do to help my Charlie connect with some other people in the youth group? I said, sure, I'll be glad to try. And so I did. I said, I made the promise. I'll be happy to try. He just abruptly turned around left. So that afternoon, I made a few calls, called a couple of our youth volunteers, said, would you get a hold of some of the kids? Could you make it? Charlie's a a shy kid. He doesn't make friends easily. They knew who he was. They recognized the problem. They went after it. In a very short amount of time, just a few weeks, uh, some good strategy had been put to place, and, and, and Charlie had connected with some kids in the youth group and he was a much happier kid. I did very, very little. Other people did the work, but Charlie was a happier kid. A good thing had happened. Didn't hear any more about it. I'm sitting at my desk, same place, same circumstances some weeks later. Charlie's dad came back in my office. Business suit, you know, sort of a serious demeanor. But he walks in and says, Bill, you've got a chit with me. A chit, C-H-I-T. He had to tell me what it meant, which was it's a method of payment for some service to be redeemed later. 
I said, I don't, first of all, hi again. And secondly, I don't, I don't even know what we're talking about here. And he said, well, my son Charlie's a happy kid. And I'm grateful for what you did. And I started to say, I really didn't do much. He cut me off and he repeated it. You've got a chit with me. Bill, do you know what a chit is? He said, it's, it's a token or coin that you can redeem whenever you're ready. And I want you to know you can redeem it for whatever this youth ministry needs. Wow. He turned around. He disappeared again. So I ran downstairs to the senior pastor's office and I said, I just learned what a chit was. I'm learning this youth ministry thing. And he says, well, that doesn't happen very often. And he said, um, yeah, I know who this guy is. He comes to our church, but he's never done anything. And I told him the story and I said, well, what do you think I should do? And he said, I think you ought to take him up on it. What do you need? And I said, wow, I don't know that I know what a chit is worth, but we need a bus. (laughs) Pretty good chit. (laughs) So I called up the man and I said, I don't, I don't know what you really have in mind, but if you really want to know what we need is a bus. He said, I'll get back to you. About three weeks later, I get a call. I'm at my same desk. Phone rings. It's Charlie's dad. He said, if you'll go out to the parking lot, there's a gift for the youth ministry. So I did. And yep, there was a bus. Almost brand new, totally repainted, name of the church on the side, insides completely refurbished. I walk in the bus. I'm amazed. I look on the steering wheel and there's a note there. And the note said, nobody is to know who bought this bus. I'm going to handle the service of it from now on. You might have the kids clean it up every now and then. Signed, Charlie's dad. What I learned through that was that a man who was previously disconnected from the life of the church, concerned about his son, the body of Christ served his son, the father out of his gratitude found his gift, which was probably a gift of giving, he gave to the church, and then he served us by continuing to service this bus. He was now involved in the ministry of that church. And he had used his gifts and was a joyful part of his life. Charlie had friends. Church had a bus. Charlie's dad had a great deal of satisfaction. That's the body of Christ at work. At the risk of telling one too many personal stories, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I want to share one more. And this was how I personally was benefited by the power, the blessing, the gifts of the body of Christ in a difficult time in my life and our family's life. Laurie and I have four children. They're 28, 26, 22, and 20. The 20-year-old Mary was a surprise. 
If that makes you feel a little awkward, don't worry. She knows about it. If she's listening to this, she's fully aware. (laughs) I was a pastor of a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We lived in a nice home, but it was fairly small. We were already fairly crowded, and now we have a fourth child coming along. So we decided we better find a new house because we need some more room. We looked around. It's sort of time limited. I mean, eventually this baby's coming. And so we looked around and I felt this real sense of urgency. Let's get this thing found and found quickly. We both found a house we really liked, but Laurie was very unsure. In fact, she wasn't on board with the idea of buying this house. And I did something very, very stupid. You know what I did. I insisted we buy this house. If you know my wife, you know that, first of all, we don't insist a lot with her to begin with. But secondly, she's a strong, capable person. But because of the situation, she sort of yielded. Let me just say a word to the men of our church. Don't ever do that. Don't ever ignore the intuition, the feelings, the thoughts of your wives. Have I already said don't ever do that? Let me say that again. Don't ever do that. Well, I did. So this was a great house, but Laurie's concern all along was that it backed up to um, a strip shopping center. There was our house, small yard, short fence, concrete building, strip shopping center. It was then empty. I thought, it's fine. Nobody's there. She said, well, what if something goes in there that would be a problem? Well, I've already told you I ignored it. Well, about three weeks after we moved in, an unbelievable thing happened. For want of a better description, basically an extreme biker bar moved into that strip shopping center. Just their arrival to the building was enough to wake us up. But then the music inside the building, which went till 4 a.m., was this incredibly loud sound that bled through the walls of their little shopping center space. So we were sleepless. We were tired. We were waiting on the birth of another child. I was a pastor. Four o'clock Saturday morning, the music finally stopped. I'd show up at church bleary-eyed, incoherent, This was a tough time, and this was a tough crowd in that bar. I had made some appeals for them to turn the music down. They wouldn't do it. We had called the police. They would ticket them for noise violations. I organized a neighborhood group. They, too, called the police. We went to court hearings. We petitioned the city council. Frankly, it was a nightmare. Now, I wish I could tell you that this whole thing was resolved by lots of prayer and lots of pleading on my part where they walked over to my house one day and they said, Pastor Clark, we're so sorry we've been disrupting your life. That didn't happen. (laughs) In fact, the whole thing came down to a really bad night when once I did call them again to make a personal plea to turn down the music and while I was on the phone, somebody, one of their folks, threw a big, big brick right through the window of of the front part of our house. And it honestly landed right in the crib where our new baby would be in just a matter of days. 
Well, I completely lost it. I didn't know what to do. Our church had already been helpful. They had been helpful with suggestions. They had been helpful with meals. We had spent some nights at other people's houses. But when I called that night and said, they just threw a brick through our window, I'm going to do something stupid if somebody doesn't help me out here. They came over, a bunch of them. Richard, a very serious guy with very meticulous gifts for wood making, brought over a plywood sheet. His wife was sweeping up glass inside that bedroom. He was fixing it so that we had cover over our window on a winter night. Other people came. The group kind of assembled late that night. Jim said, I'll take care of all the legal stuff from now on. Bill, you're out of it. I'm taking care of it. Teresa said, we have a home that we've been trying to rent. It's empty. We're going to move you into that house so that all of you are protected. A guy named Daniel, who uh, was a, quite a character, said to me, and he was a big guy, a big burly guy with a big beard. He said, I don't know particularly what I can do, but I like to drink beer. I'll just go over to that bar and I'll be your spy. I really was comforted by that. <laughs> we had an insider in the bar now. Finally, after we had moved out, just a few weeks later, our baby comes. She's in a protected place. And then there was a shooting at the bar. The judge finally closed it down. The city council changed the ordinances. We had our party, and we thanked all of those people who, as a part of the body of Christ in our new young church, rallied around us and cared for us. You know, the story is unusual, but you actually see that in the body of Christ all the time. People who are going through an illness or who have gone through a death, people who are in struggling some way, people are hurting, and people in the body of Christ come around them and they care for them. And out of their own experience, out of their own giftedness, serve them and love them and feed them and care for them. When you came into this room today, this beautiful sanctuary, a lot of work went into this place before you ever got here. There were people making the coffee. There were hospitality people who greeted you. There were others with other assignments and tasks. And this, the body of Christ, who made all of this possible so we could have this good worship experience. I'm not sure what your gift to the church would be, but there are gifts for all of us. Inside your bulletin is a card. Would you search for that? A few of you kind of wave it at me when you indicate that you've found it. Oh, good. Thank you very much. This is something I want you to take home with you. It's called Understanding God's Design for You in serving other people. Over here on about a third of the way down, you'll see the word shape written vertically. It has nothing to do with human shapes. It has to do with how God has wired us. The S stands for spiritual gifts, what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. The H stands for our heart. What moves us? What motivates us? What causes us to be concerned for other people? The A stands for our abilities. What are our natural gifts and talents? Because God uses those in combination with the others. 
What's my personality? Am I task-oriented or am I people-oriented? Do I want to work with people or would there be a, just an assignment in the church where I could have a quiet place and do my work? What are my experiences? What have I learned in life that has been beneficial to me? All of those are questions to consider. And then the next section is discovering your shape. And those are just questions I would ask you to ask yourself. These are sort of the diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to say, how could I make room in my life to do what God has designed me to do in the church? All of this material is from a, a great book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, who says, ultimately, you can do all the diagnostic stuff you want to, but you'll never know what you're good at until you try it. I would urge you to think about how God might want you to try ministry through and with Christ Church of Oak Brook. There's one other brochure I want to call your attention to, and you don't have that one. It's out in the information booth, and it's available on your way out. It's called Serving Needs at Christ Church of Oak Brook. This has 13 needs that we currently have. We're blessed by lots of people who help us, but right now we have 13 needs that we've identified as the top level of needs that we have. There are short descriptions there, little job descriptions. These are not highly time-consuming tasks unless you wanted them to be. And each one of those has a contact person so you could know more. If God's nudging you to be involved in some new or different or an additional way at Christ Church of Oak Brook, you could pick this up on your way out this morning because the job descriptions are there and we're ready to go. My question for us really is this. Have you walked into that role in the body of Christ for which God has uniquely designed you? If God has an assignment for you, are you willing to accept it? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the way you work in the body of Christ. This is a world with real problems. And we thank you that for the issues, the problems, the struggles we have in our own life, we have a church, an imperfect but strongly committed church to being the body of Christ with one another and for one another. Lord, as you lead us, show us our place in the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.